0: Thank you, Alan, for sharing that with us. I know you're uh, probably online watching. He does that. Uh, love, Alan. Hey, I'm here to speak to you briefly about Faith Promise commitments. And I know you think I'm going to start out talking by money, but I'm not. I'm going to talk about the uh, commitments. Mick O'Hanahan kind of challenged us this morning to get involved with children's ministry. Uh, for those of you who are here at First Hour, um, you know, that we've got a lot of missions that we support in that, that support children and youth. Uh, but one of the things that, that he challenged us was within our own body of believers, within the, uh, within the Markle Church of Christ, uh, we need to be involved. And so one of the ways that we can make a faith promise commitment is to serve within our local church. So when you think of faith promise, hopefully the first thing that pops into your head isn't the financial aspect of it, but hopefully it's serving. Um, another aspect uh, with serving is coming alongside these missions uh, that presented this morning. We've got several missions. We talk about uh, missions across the street and around the world. Uh, we heard we heard from each of those this morning, right? We've got missions uh, just down the road uh, in Bluffton. Uh, we've got missions uh, that operate right out of our buildings uh, here on the property. So there's a lot of ways that we can get plugged in to serve. So maybe your faith promise for 2024 is that you're going to get involved uh, with one of these local missions that we already support and come and help them. A lot of them have weekly things that that you can be involved in. Another way, and I, I wanted to mention this this morning, I even had a note and I skipped right over it. Probably one of the most important, I'm not going to say probably, it is the most important way that we can be involved is through our prayer life. And and praying for each of these missions. And, you know, these missions stood before us this morning during First Hour, and uh, they thanked Markle for their support. And I heard uh, Markle being a a, a mission-minded church. Well, for us to live that out and for us to be a mission-minded church, uh, we need to involve missions in our prayer lives. Um, Kathy spearheaded this for us this year, and she said, you know, I, I really think that we need to work hard and promote a prayer calendar so it's bright yellow so that you can't miss them, uh, but there's a large stack on the table in the back of the auditorium, so I would encourage you today, if you do not already have one of these, um, you may have picked one up last week with the uh, Faith Promise booklet, but if you don't have a prayer calendar, um, you need one. You need one of these. This is the, this is the handout. This is the, the freebie from the Markle Missions team this year to you is a prayer calendar that you can use throughout the year. And what's special about this is it plugs in the missions that the Markle Church of Christ supports um, each day of the month. And you could look at it and say, wow, Woodburn kind of got ripped off because they're on the 31st. And uh, Purdue Christian Campus House, they're on the 30th. So they're not going to get very many prayers. But I would challenge you maybe for those months that don't have 30, 31 days, uh, maybe uh, maybe you can double up a little bit and pray for those uh, during the week. So please please pick up one of these um, and be in prayer for our missions. Now I'm going to talk about the financial aspect of Faith Promise. Uh, Each of these missions stood before us this morning and last week, and they talked about how Markle has come alongside of them, and the work that they do, it takes money. Uh, So in order for the Markle Church of Christ to be able to help support them, uh, it's important that we commit some of our resources uh, to each of these missions. And the way that we... Um, tried to do this uh, through the Markle uh, Missions, is to uh, receive a faith promise financial pledge from uh, each person uh, in the congregation. We do that this time of year so that we can gather these pledges and see what the total is so that the Markle Missions team knows how to uh, budget for 2024. Uh, Markle Church of Christ is… I shared last week when my wife and I first came to Markle Church… It, it was it was really it was different. It it was something that we weren't used to because uh, most churches that we'd been a part of, part of the a percentage of the giving went towards missions, and I think that's the I think that's the norm. I think uh, maybe you've uh, seen that in the past, maybe at a church that you might have been to, you know, a small percentage, maybe three percent, five percent, maybe even ten percent goes to missions. Markle Church of Christ does not operate that way. And that was one of the things that uh, really grabbed uh, Angie and my attention when we came to Markle. And, and talking about uh, Markle being a mission-minded church, I think they really put that out there because the, the concept is that mission funds do not come out of the general giving. Mission funds, are pledged totally separate. They're given totally separate. And, and that's confusing for a lot of people and You know, for people that grew up in the Markle Church of Christ, that's just the way that it is, and it may be the norm. For some of the newbies, um, you know, this is different. And and so uh, what I want to communicate to you today is that it's very important, if you do not have one of these cards, uh, please get one. If we need to print more, uh, we will print more. I know I encouraged everyone to pick one up last week and not to do anything uh, with it last week, but to take it home and pray about it through the week. And I was so encouraged today. I had... um, I had someone come up to me and say, uh, my husband and I, we've got our pledge card filled out. Uh, We've not done this before. Where do I put it? And wow, that was incredible to me. So yeah, where do we put these when we're done? Well, we've got the giving boxes. Uh, I think there's five of them around the auditorium here where you put your financial gifts for general giving. That is also where we would ask that you would put your uh, faith promise pledge card. And so by filling this out today and in the next few weeks, we're going to continue through the month of September uh, to receive these, um, these financial um, faith promises. Uh, we're going to use that number over the next few months so that we can figure out our mission budget for 2024. So I hope that makes sense to everyone. If it doesn't, if this is something that's totally new to you and you want to have more conversation, um, Get a hold of me. Um, I'll be hanging around for quite a while after the service today. I encourage you to please come talk to me. I want everyone to understand that. At this time, I have the privilege to introduce our speaker this morning. Our speaker is Mr. Mark Pike. Uh, Mark Pike is the senior campus minister at the Christian Student Foundation just down the road at Ball State University. He's a native Hoosier, born in Indianapolis. He moved to Michigan at the start of his middle school. And then he graduated from a school in Milford, Michigan. He's a graduate of Great Lakes Christian College, which we heard from last week. He graduated in 1982 with a New Testament major and Christian education minor. He is a 1990 graduate of Emanuel Christian Seminary with Christian Ministries Emphasis. Mark married Lynn Harris in 1987, and they have four children. Dylan is married to Emily They have two children, Boone, three, and Sage is one. Dylan is a Purdue graduate and is an environmental geologist. Olivia is a Ball State graduate who is an art teacher in Martinsville, Indiana. Seth is a Ball State graduate and a math teacher in Yorktown. And Jason is a current Ball State student. Mark was the associate campus minister, Christian Student Foundation at Ball State University in 1985 to 1992, serving under Brother Will Walls. He served as an associate minister at Bethany Christian Church in Anderson, Indiana from 1992 to 1995, and has served as the senior campus minister at Ball State at the Christian Campus Foundation since 1995. So without further ado, it's my honor to present to you our speaker, Mr. Mark Pike.
1: Good morning. Good morning. It's good to be with you. I'm um, going to be uh, sharing with you a message from the Gospel of Matthew, starting with chapter one, verse one. And we are studying through Matthew uh, on our Sunday morning meetings at the campus house. So you're you're getting a sermon that has already been done once. So hopefully that means it's better the second time. Kind of like kind of like my wife's meatloaf, and you have that meatloaf sandwich. After it's you know it's better, right? So hopefully that's the case here. All right, Matthew one, Matthew one, Matthew introduces his theme of uh, Jesus the Messiah, son of David, son of Abraham. We're going to look at the son of Abraham piece this morning. So that's what's going to happen. Just before I do that, I have a couple pictures I want to show you um, from the Christian Campus House of Ball State. This picture. It's from last Sunday, and it's our worship service, Sunday mornings at 11, so that means they are singing right now, right? It's 11.15, so you might pray for them, okay? And uh, so uh, one of the things I want you to, two things I want you to notice, that is last Sunday, and the room is full, okay? So we had about 100 to 110 students, Um, they move around a little bit, so I don't always get a firm count. Um, The thing that's exciting about that picture is that it's not unusual for us to have a full room on week one and things to drop off weeks after that. So that's pretty typical. That hasn't happened yet this year. Okay, so I don't know what's going on. We had a conversation this week about that. And so several of us have come up with some answers, but we'll wait and see on what, what is going on with that. So that's encouraging to see next picture is our Wednesday night Bible study, and there are about 50 students in the room. There, um, one of the interesting things about our Wednesday night meeting, well, first let me share how what we do. We, uh, I or Caleb, our associate minister, we write a, a study guide for. Uh, we're doing Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, this semester on Wednesdays, and uh, we uh, outline the text. Discussion questions, give them structure, and then our student leaders lead the Bible study discussions. So we'll have seven different groups meeting on Wednesday nights, and those are all student-led. And then Caleb or I give an introduction, we give the handout. So that's, that's the good thing. Interesting thing about what's happening, again, this year on Wednesday nights, we've not seen a drop-off. Our attendance has stayed strong and stayed consistent for the first four weeks. So that's, that's encouraging. The other encouraging thing is, back in the spring, when we have our planning meeting, we talk about how the year has gone, what we want to do for the fall. We, we, uh, we try to have some launch activities, Welcome Week activities. Uh, and the last few years, our Wednesday night launch activity was a little too heavy. It became too heavy on get-to-know-you, social engagement kind of activities. Uh, our thinking was, these are all new students. None of them know each other. We want them to get to know each other. We want to build community. What we didn't realize is that we were giving the message that we were more about fun and games than we were about Bible study. And a lot of students didn't come back. And our students picked up on that, and they told us at the, our planning meeting, let's not do that this fall. We want, we want to get in the Bible the first week. We want more Bible study, not less. We don't want more fun and games. We get a lot of that in other places. So what's what we did. We had an introduction. We got into our groups. And our, our, our same thing with dynamic with our Wednesday night Bible study has been that it, the attendance has stayed up. So those are good things. And the encouraging thing is our students have a desire to know God and they want to read the Bible and they want to learn how to pray. The question is, will somebody walk alongside them and do that? So I'm going to say more about that in a few minutes. All right. So we meet Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. So we're going to look today at uh, our introduction to Abraham and some themes that are in Genesis 12 about God's call to Abraham, what God's planning to do through Abraham, and then uh, how that call is is intent God intends. For that call and those purposes to be lived out in the people of Israel. So we're going to take a look at Isaiah 42. See how that's described. And then some interesting things Jesus says in Matthew chapter 8. It's the story of the centurion who has a a servant who's sick. He comes to Jesus. The centurion is a Gentile, not a Jew. Some interesting things Jesus says in response to him. So carry our theme, I think. Then we're going to look in Matthew 28 at the end, and that should be a very familiar passage to a lot of you, the Great Commission, um, make disciples, uh, baptizing and teaching them. I, I have some things that I think are interesting for us to look at in light of these other passages about Matthew chapter 28. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to end on trying to pull some things together as a challenge for us in the church today where we find ourselves. All right, so uh, Genesis chapter 12 the first four verses. Um, so as I said, uh, Matthew starts. He wants us to... And I, I want to say one thing about uh, biblical studies. I, I pulled my New Testament major uh, card out right now. And, and uh, I don't know. I hope I'm not... If I'm stepping on your toes this morning, what I'm about to say, um, I'm sorry, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step, okay? Some of us never get further... Then the little flip chart that sits on our kitchen table has the verse of the day on it. And that's about as far as some people get in their Bible study. Now, I guess that's better than nothing, right? But in some ways, it's not a good way if that's the only Bible study you do, right? The Gospel of Matthew, for example, was written as a narrative with themes that are developed through the whole book that go from the beginning to the end. And if all you do is pick and choose, select verses from here and there, and that becomes your steady diet of Bible, you're not going to get it. So uh, there's a reason why Matthew starts, Jesus the Messiah, Son of David, Son of Abraham. It's not, and it's not just about physical lineage, that his ancestor was David, his ancestor was Abraham. There are some important themes that show up in both of those men's lives. That God wants to see happen in the Messiah and in his people. So, let's look at Jude, uh, Abraham. The Lord said uh, to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your family's, father's family. Go to the land that I will show you. I will bless those who bless you. Curse those who treat you with contempt. And all the families on the earth will be blessed through you. So, Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. I turn 64 tomorrow. So as I get older, that number 75 always kind of jumps out at me. Um, Is God going to be calling me something, uh, giving me something to do that I'm not anticipating at age 75? We will see. All right, so there are uh, several things we see in this passage that I, I want us to draw out and think about and reflect on. One is God's call, that God and Abram have a relationship in which Abram he- knows God and hears God, and God gives him a personal call. Um, I, I think I struggled with this a lot when I was younger, when I was in college. People would ask me, what are you called to do? Uh, I don't know that I had a good answer to that question. Um, So we're going to talk more about that today, but God had a specific call to Abram here in this passage, and that involved leaving his family and his home country and going to a new place. Um, What I find fascinating about this call is there's no brochure. There's no travel agency saying here are all the things you're going to do when you leave home and you go to this new country. The basic message is, I'm going with you. And the question for Abram is, does he trust God to leave and to go? It's an important part of the call. Um, too often I think when we think about this passage, we think about only leaving your home country and going to another country. But I think God can give us the same call and we still live in the same house for fifty years or same community. He might be asking us to leave some patterns of thinking or speech or action and go to a new way of thinking and action and and relating to people. So we'll talk more about that at the end of this message. But God calls people. God works through individuals. And I believe the the message we have here with Abram is that God will call, not only does he call Abram, and not only does he call the Messiah, but he calls you and I. So the question becomes, um, and I think this changed my prayer life when I really thought about the meaning of this. My prayer life went from, here's my list of demands for you, God, to, God, what do you want me to do? Who do you want me to talk to today? What are you calling me to do at school, at work, on my walk across campus? God, what do you want me to do? I made the mistake when I was in college of saying to God, I'll do anything. And was, when, once you start giving God, you know, restrictions, that, that's a dangerous place to be. I said, I'll do anything but preach. I don't want to preach. I'll, I'll be a youth minister. I'll, I'll, I'll do something else. So I, I thought I was, I was going to be a Christian education director. I just don't want to preach. Well, guess what I do every week for the past 30 years is preach to college students. God has a sense of humor. And uh, be careful that it, often I've seen students say, I will, do, I will go anywhere to teach God except Fort Wayne. Don't send me back to Fort Wayne. Right? Have you heard that? Uh, students will say it's something like that. I'll, move, I'll live anywhere but Indiana. Uh, you know, I, I really like a beach town. God, can I, can I go there? Okay. Um, and then he calls them back to Indiana. Right? So God has a sense of humor be, I think our prayer should be, God, where do you want me to go? Who do you want me to minister to? What do you want me to do? So we see God's call. With God's call, we see God's promise. We see His promise that He would be with Abram, that He would make him a great nation, and that He would bless Abram. With God's call comes God's promise. If you look throughout Scripture, Isaiah, Elijah, Jonah, every person God has called, He's made promises to be with them, to provide resources, and to give them direction. It's a good study about uh, God's calling in our lives. Just look at what promises God makes. So we see God's call, we see God's promise, and then He also announces His purpose in this passage. That he was not calling Abraham just to call Abram, and to have a tight, intimate relationship with Abram, and that's it. Period. End of story. God called Abram because He wanted to and bless Abram because He wanted through Abraham to be a blessing to the whole world. All the families of the earth will be blessed. That's a theme we're going to see marked out in some of these other passages. I just want to introduce it right now. What is that blessing? And who does God want to bless? And then Abram obeys. So we see God's call. He announces his promise and purpose. And Abraham is forced with a decision. He's confronted with God's call on his life. What will he do? And and as Paul says, he is an example of faith to us. He obeys God, and he goes. So these are the principles that I'd like for us to think about today as we work through these passages of Scripture. Next, Isaiah 42. So um, this, what, what God has said to Abram here, this is God's game plan. This is what God wants to see done. Here, in our, this county, in Fort Wayne, in Indianapolis, throughout the world, God wants this to happen. I think that's important for us to realize. The same at Ball State. He wants to bless people at Ball State. Isaiah forty two, five through seven, um, we see um, a description in this passage this sh- sh- shows up several places uh, in the prophets, where the prophet will call the people of God to their purpose and describe it for them. God the Lord created the heavens and stretched them out. He created the earth and everything in it. He gives breath to everyone, life to everyone who walks the earth. And it is He who says, I, the Lord, have called you to demonstrate My righteousness. I will take you by the hand and guard you. And I will give you to My people Israel as a symbol of My covenant with them. And you will be a light to guide the nations. There's three things I I I just want to draw out here that I think reinforce and carry on through what what God said to Abram in Genesis 12. One is that God has an interest in everybody who walks the earth. I give life and breath to every human being. Every human being, from birth to death, is of interest to God. Every human being, no matter what color their skin, what country they live in, where they live in the city or they live in the country, God is interested in them. God wants to bless them. That's the standard operating procedure and plan for God. To un- undo what happened in the fall is to be a blessing to all people. So that's the first thing here. Notice that carries on this theme of, that Abraham will be a blessing to all families of the earth. Then he says something interesting. So he's talking to the servant, and this is an anticipation of uh, the Messianic servant, Jesus, who would come later. So he's given some instructions about his purpose and plan in the time of Isaiah. But he says something about God's people here that I think is very important. He says that they are to demonstrate righteousness. Now notice what, I, what he said here to, to, in, through Isaiah. It's not Israel's righteousness that is to be demonstrated. It's God's righteousness. Israel is to live in a manner in which God's righteousness is made visible to people from all nations. That is how God plans to accomplish His purpose. Through His people who demonstrate His righteousness. I think that is very suggestive For us in the church today, when I think about our ministry at the campus house, how does God plan to uh, uh, fulfill His purpose and exert His purpose to glorify His name? It's through the Christians who are on the Ball State University campus. He wants them to demonstrate His righteousness. Now, how is that going to happen? We'll get to that in just a moment. And then the third thing in this passage is the Messiah is to be a light to all nations. So this calling of Abraham was not just to bless Abraham. It was not even just to bless Israel, but it was to be a light and a blessing to the whole world. So when we remember this, the Old Testament starts to make a lot more sense, I think. We start reading those stories, and we we see, I think, two things become clear if you read the whole thing, beginning to end in various passages, human beings are not prone to do this. And it takes the power and word and truth of God to make this happen. Look at the story of the kings. King after king after king. Even the good ones are not very good. But most of them fail. Most of them sin. Most of them wander. They prove unreliable. that the people can't rely on these kings and leaders. Who can they rely on? I think it's the cry of the Old Testament, and that's why God sends His chosen servant, the Messiah. So we come to Matthew now, <coughs> and um, we see uh, we've, we've, we've noted Matthew one, and that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of Abraham, Son of David, um, and I see these themes echoed very interesting in a couple passages. Before we get to the end, so uh, Isaiah uh, Matthew chapter eight verses five through thirteen is the story of the centurion who comes to Jesus. So I'll read that and note, I want you to notice something: how Abraham pops up in this passage when as we read through it. When Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him, "Lord, my young servant lies in bed, paralyzed and in terrible pain." Jesus said, "I will come and heal him." The officer said, Lord, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. Notice what he says. To have you come into my home. Just say the word. From where you are, my servant will be healed. I know this because I'm under the authority of my superior officers. And I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say, go, and they go. Or come, and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. That's what authority looks like. When Jesus heard this he was amazed. Turning to those who were following him, he said, I tell you the truth, I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. And I tell you this, that many Gentiles will come from all over the world, from east and west, and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. But many Israelites, those for whom the kingdom was prepared, will be thrown into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the Roman officer, Go back home, because you believed it has happened. And the young servant was healed that same hour. Okay, so here we have an, um, uh, an interaction that Jesus has with someone who's not an Israeli. He's not a Jew. Not a people of the covenant. And that Roman comes to Jesus and makes a request for his servant. And he expresses faith. And Jesus makes an interesting statement that it's God's intention for people like this to sit at the banquet table in heaven with Abraham. It's an affirmation by Jesus of this plan of God that begins with Abraham and goes to the end of the, of, the, of the age, into our day and beyond, however long the Lord tarries, to call people from east and west, from across the nations, to come, be invited, to sit at the banquet table in heaven. Abraham is part of the uh, backstory to the Messiah's ministry. I think this is seen also in the instructions to the church we see in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. So it begins with a statement about the authority of Jesus. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you, And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Um, At the end of that passage, I think it's an important note. Um, I just wonder if we uh, take notice of it and live by it. And that is Jesus promised to be with us if we will do these things. Just like uh, God said to Abram, I will go with you. Go, Leave and go. Jesus says, go make disciples. I will be with you. I suspect a lot of us have read this passage. And maybe we've designed programs. And we have not taken into effect that it's by the power of Jesus, who is with us personally, that this will happen. So I'm I'm a product of the Western educational system. Went to public school, went to a Christian college, went to a Christian seminary. When I hear the word teach in this passage, what comes to my mind? What comes to your mind? For most of my life, I have heard that as either a classroom setting or a one-to-one setting in which I'm teaching somebody about the gospel about the Scriptures, about the Bible. And I suspect a lot of us are put off by that mental image, even if we are not aware of it. We don't spell it out, write it out. I'm not, I'm not a teacher. I, I'm not, I'm not, I don't think I should stand up in front of a classroom. And I kind of found... Now, any teachers in the room? I, I'm going to ask a question, and it, I hope you guys don't take offense. Okay. But I thought school was kind of boring, right? I mean, how, many, how many could raise their hand? You don't have to raise your hand in front of the teachers, okay? There's, some, there's a couple of willing volunteers to admit that, okay? I found school boring. Now, to be honest, I, found, I like school. I'm a, I'm a reader. I like to read, and uh, I, I was okay with school. But what I noticed was if I tried to replicate school in ministry, it was of limited effect. Now, I'm not saying it's of no effect. So I'm not saying here, get rid of your uh, Bible study fellowships or your, your groups for teaching young people. You should keep those. You should, you can, you should make them as good as you can. Okay, they should, They're an important place. But there's a limit to what we can teach in a classroom setting. For me, the key... Thinking differently about that is what is said in Isaiah chapter 42. That the righteousness of God must be demonstrated. What we have found is the most effective thing for us to do with our leaders is that we give them responsibility and ministry for them to lead and guide under our supervision and oversight. And we meet with them weekly to talk about how they're doing. What's working? What's not working? How are you growing? So we give ministry to students. That has been a, a real game changer for us over the last 10 or 12 years, is that most of the ministry, uh, the, my favorite Sundays that when I'm there are Sundays that I am not preaching or doing anything, that students are doing it or somebody else is preaching. Often a student will preach. And I support, I pray, I encourage, I give guidance. I have found, if I look back over my when did I learn the most? It's when somebody gave me a job that I probably did not feel prepared to do. So I, I, I want to mention something that happened when I came to Ball State in 1985. We were uh, still doing old school calling. Some of you remember this? You guys know Calling Night? I remember Calling Night when I was growing up in church. And for those of you who may not remember Calling Night, right? you got a list of names, and, and you made appointments or tried to make appointments. Sometimes people showed up, sometimes they didn't, right? You got ghosted, right? And so what we would do is churches like Mark Hall would send us a name. Alumni on our list would send us a name. And we, I, we would march into the residence hall, there was some effectiveness to this back. We don't do this now, but we would go to the residence hall. There's a hall phone. I'd pick up the phone. There's actually a phone in the student's room, not a cell phone, in 1985, a phone. I would call them. Sometimes the students would say, I'll come down. I'll talk to you. Sometimes they would ghost me. They would say, yes, but not. How am I going to What am I going to do? You know, I'm sitting in the lobby, right? And that's the way we did it. And then at the end of the night, we would meet <coughs> for milkshakes and we talk about the conversations and we pray about the people that we met with. That's the way we used to do it. One of the things that I noticed first is I didn't want to do that. I wanted to give a lecture at a Bible study. That's what ministry meant to me in my mind. But Will knew that I needed to meet with students face to face in the residence hall. And he said, remember, I know you you don't, he said, I know you don't feel comfortable doing this. You don't want to do this. You don't want to go into the residence hall where more people live on the floor than went to Great Lakes Bible College at the time. Okay? And you don't want to do this. You're scared about doing this. You're afraid of doing it. You're afraid of how they're going to respond or not respond. Okay? He says, but remember, what you represent is the most important gift and blessing we can give to someone, and that is a relationship with Jesus and a conversation with you. And, and sometimes, boy, there was some interest. I remember one time walking through, and I uh, was made some calls, and the student working at the hall desk said, what are you doing? And I said, uh, I've got this list of names. People have given us names. I'm from the Christian campus house. I'm asking you to be, meet appointments. The student working at the desk said, you know, I've been looking for a place to go to church. We ended up baptizing that. Because he noticed what we were doing. So we were visible. We were out on campus. And somebody noticed. And God provoked them to ask a question. So that, that worked. But the most important thing I noticed was, boy, the, university, the residence hall can be a scary place. Residence hall can be a lonely place. And it helped me see and understand how, uh, what the campus house, the community of the campus house and the ministry of the camp had a, was a great benefit and blessing to students at Ball State. That was an important lesson for me. I, would, I don't think I would have learned it if I hadn't been standing in a residence hall or walking down the hall, walking past open doors, seeing what's posted on the door, listening to the music come out of, of, of the rooms, going to meet a student who felt like they're the only person who had any interest in God on the whole floor and have a conversation. So here's here's my uh, 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 pitch to you from Matthew 28 about teaching and baptizing, and that is yes, there's a place for the classroom. There's yes, a place for Wednesday night Bible study, the sermon at the campus house on Sunday morning. But much of the teaching that needs to occur is going to happen in relationships made in ministry settings or in the classroom or over the, over the, at the table in, in the dining service, in relationships. And so we need to get students. We don't need more programs. What we need is students who are willing to have those conversations. So we need to get students with them. I would say here, if, you're, if a church like Markle is saying, we want to reach more young adults, we don't see them here at our church or college students, don't start another program. That may sound counterintuitive. Don't start another program. But look at what you're already doing and invite a college student to go with you and do that. Okay? Now, that's leaving and going because you're leaving the way you've done it in the past, if that's what's going on, and you're going and doing it in a different way, but you're taking someone with you. If you have a shut-in ministry, take a high school student with you. If whatever ministries there are in this church, I would look at them. Who's doing the ministry? And if you don't have middle schoolers and high schoolers and college agents involved in something, you're going to lose them because they don't want to just be spectators. Because the ones who don't want to be spectators are going to quit going to church and then we have trouble reaching them when they come to Ball State. Never do ministry alone. Take someone with you. And that through that doing ministry with them, you will have opportunities to teach about Jesus and model Jesus' righteousness that you could never do in a classroom. That's the way we need to be teaching. One more thing I want to say, and then I want to wrap up. And that is we've, one of the themes of your, is, is across the world, right? How's that, how that stated in your, in your theme for this? But across the world, um, global ministry, and the nations. And, We have a lot of students. uh, We're getting a lot of students from Africa right now coming to the campus house. Probably 15 or 20 every Sunday. Africans are at the campus house. And that's been a great thing. And uh, it's been a demonstration that uh, the nations are coming to to, uh, America. They're coming to our university campuses and we have opportunities to build relationships with them. But it takes some extra work. Sometimes, I find... The Africans are hard to understand. And the older I get, the slower my ears seem to be, okay? And I have to, I have to listen carefully, and I have to ask them to repeat themselves. But I'm, am I willing to do the work of building relationships so that I can include them in our ministry? A lot of the African students that we're working with right now are already Christian. They're just looking for a church to be a part of. And so we pray with them. They pray with us. They're teaching us how to pray in ways that we normally don't. That's a good thing. Um, they lead worship with us sometimes. What I would say is that that is true of your community here. The nations are coming to Indiana, not just on our university campuses, but in our neighborhoods, and in our communities. And if you—here's I, I the challenge with the nations in, who are your neighbors— is that you? if you start praying and say, God, show me who those people are, He will show you those people. You will begin to see them. So the question is, do you want to pray that prayer? Do you want to ask God to show you some, maybe some new immigrants, some new neighbors that have moved in around you? And are, you'll see them in restaurants and stores and businesses. There's a neighbor of ours who... Um, sold her house to a flip, uh, flipper. They, they, they flipped it, remodeled it, and I, I learned that the new neighbors who bought the house are from California. What, what, if you heard that, what was your first thing? Oh, great. People from California, right? <laughs> you know, exiles from Southern California have decided to move to Anderson, right? I, I have to confess I had that thought. So then God showed me something different. I learned who was in that house. They're from Guatemala. Really? Okay, God. My wife uh, speaks Spanish, teaches, uh, works with Spanish speakers in the Anderson Community Schools. We have had hosts, been host family for students from Guatemala. I've made several trips to Guatemala, and then God puts a Guatemalan family in my neighborhood. Huh. I wonder what's going on there. Okay. Uh, So, we've had the opportunity to get to know Nanette and her family Um, in our neighborhood. My son mows their lawn, and they go to our church. They're there. I, I learned it because I was walking my dog, and I saw her get out of her car, introduced myself to her. I could have just kept walking. But I said, huh, I wonder who this person is. New neighbor. We went up and introduced, found out she's from Guatemala. Well, there you go. My wife was really happy when I came home and told her our new neighbors were from Guatemala. We have another neighbor from Mexico. So we have two Spanish speakers from other countries in our neighborhood on the same street. Do you think God wants us to have a relationship with those people? I think he does. So ask God to show you where those people are in your life. Physically, you don't have to go anywhere. But mentally, you may have to make some changes. Open your eyes. Ask God who you, He wants you to talk to this week. So start praying that prayer. All right. At the um, uh, last thing I want to uh, mention, because sometimes we go, I don't want to do that. I don't like to talk to people from other countries. I, their English is not so good. Neither is mine. You know, English is a foreign language to me as well. You know, i um, not so good at it, talking, right? Um, uh, what does Jesus say in Matthew 28? I will be with you to the end of the age. And in Matthew 1, verse 20, Joseph is deciding, thinking about uh, sending Mary away, and an angel comes to him and says, "This child that Mary is carrying is by the hand and work of God. You shall name him Emmanuel." And the name Emmanuel means God with us. For he will remove uh, the sins of his people. And that is the blessing that God has chosen to work through you and I to be ambassadors and representatives of the Messiah who will take away the sins of the world and our neighbors. The question is, will we be obedient? To answer that call, and go with Jesus, because he's doing it already. The question is, are you going to go with him or not? Let's name and sing.